Welcome to the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor podcast, LaughBox. We have multiple hosts and multiple guests and multiple ways to think out of the box using humor. LaughBox is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. Join us for episode 93 with Jim Bob Williams, KDB, and special guest Sue Stevenson, author of Impossible to Possible. Welcome to LaughBox, the official podcast of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. I'm Jim Bob Williams. And I'm Katie B. And today's guest is a very special person, a very special person because, well, for a number of reasons. First of all, she mentioned me in her new book. I'm really touched by that. If I were to read you the About the Author page from her new book, we, we wouldn't have enough time to do the podcast because she's one of these people who's accomplished more than a human being has any right to expect to do so. It is an honor to introduce the author of Impossible to Possible, Neurostrategies for Healing, Humor, and a Reimagined Life. Please welcome CHP, Sue Stevenson. Sue, you know, we usually like to do a little biographical background, give the audience a little idea of how did you get involved in in the realm of neurostrategies? Tell us your backstory. Okay. So the best way of, first of all, just say I'm honored. Thank you very much for inviting me to be part of Laughbox again. I love Laughbox and you do such an amazing job. I try to listen to every single speaker. So great job that you're doing with Laughbox. So what was it that got me to write a book? Well, you know, I think in COVID, we all reimagined our lives. Mm -hmm. I think people, you know, just stopped and it was such a great moment to say, well, you know, am I doing what I want? Am I doing what I love? Is there something I haven't done that I could do while I'm stuck here in my house? And that's when I thought, hmm, time to write a book. I'm not a writer. It's not really my thing, but I am a storyteller. And I think that I had a lot of stories that you know, I wanted to share with others. And the main story really was that I faced one of the greatest challenges that almost anyone can face. I heard one of the most terrifying medical diagnosis you can hear which was I had an impossible brain tumor and in that single moment when my neurosurgeon said it's impossible to cure it's impossible we can't do anything about it just go home and live with your symptoms I thought no way no way am I going to do that I refused to accept that my situation was hopeless that my condition was impossible that my life was going to be shortened or that I didn't have a future So I had spent an entire career, you know, facing obstacles, overcoming them, becoming highly resilient in the corporate world. And I pushed through every situation, whether it was difficult bosses, highly, highly stressful situations, huge presentations, travel, not some of which was fun, some of which was not. Anyway, I, I always had to push through everything, like wake up in the morning, I can get through today, I can make it to the end of the day. And once I got this diagnosis, it was interesting that it was that push through mindset with some humor that I'd begun learning mm-hmm. that got me through and it contributed totally to my healing, which I call the neuro strategies. And so it was the push through mindset that healed my body and my brain. One thing I like about your book is that 
a lot of books do a good job describing a problem, but they never get around to telling you what to do about it. My favorite question is, what difference does your book make on Thursdays? It's tough to where to start. Yes. And that was exactly the situation I was in. It was tough to know where to start. You know, you get sent home. You've told you've got a big thing in your brain, lemon-sized. You're mm -hmm. not feeling great. You're like, where do you start? Well, you know, you start with everything that you normally do, which is to buy a dog. I didn't buy a dog. I rescued a dog. But that was the very first thing I did was to get a dog. Was I was kind of beginning to isolate and didn't feel great and didn't want to meet and talk to anyone. I'll get a dog. So I did two things. I got a dog and I went on the computer and searched everything about the brain. And today I am the absolute brain nerd, the nerdiest brain person you'll ever meet. I think about it all day, every day. So the, the neuro strategies, and I call them that because they're just neuroscience supported lifestyle ideas. There, and there's 130 of them in the book. And of course, nobody's going to try 130 things, but I tried 130 things. I have no idea which one or more than one helped me because today I am totally clear. I no longer have a big lemon sized thing in my brain, but I don't know what it was or which thing I did that worked. I'm going to say it was the humor because, you know, we, we oh, all yeah. have humor in, in, in our world, but I really don't know. And when people read it, I want them to read it and think, what might work for me? What one or two things am I going to try? I must point out to people that it's, it's dangerous reading your book because one, it'll show some of the things that you're doing wrong in your life. And second, you'll refer to other authors. So it's like getting the best of, of psychology, neurology, management theory, leadership, whether it wants. Like, I, I couldn't believe how many books you mentioned that... Well, for example, tinker, dabble, doodle, doodle, try. Okay. Yeah. I, I plug for AATH. I, I bought this at the conference in San Diego in 2018. And it's magnificent. You know, just the, the importance of, of play, disengaging, you know, and, and frequent resting. Yes. Let me. So, Srini Pillay, Dr. Srini Pillay, who wrote that, mm. who did come, as you said, to the San Diego conference is just quite an incredible, you know, he's, he's a, a professor and he turned our whole thinking upside down. To, you know, I used to help people learn how to focus, how to concentrate, yeah. what to do so you don't lose that focus or concentration. And Srini says, no, throw that away. Let your mind wander, you know, go out and just let yeah. your mind go in different directions. And I love that because at the time when I met him, I was teaching leaders for the Neuro Leadership Institute, and I was teaching them the neuroscience of insight. Mm. And insight, you know, that eureka moment or that aha. Well, mm. we now know that when you let your mind wander and when you stop thinking about a problem and you let your brain go a little bit quiet and a little bit positive, that's when we have that. That what happens is ideas and solutions just bubble up from our non-conscious mm. brain. And if we grab them and we just make those ideas or those new, those new thoughts and we grab them and say, what am I going to do with that? We can really change something important in our lives. Mm. Wow. I love this. Your story is so amazing. So no surgery, nope. nothing except these what we might call organic neuroscience exercises. 
of so to speak, right? Which you're going to go into some of them. That's what did it. Yes. And your doctor, is he, does he think you're a miracle? Well, after the doctor said it was impossible, as I got to the door and I turned back and I went, is there really, really impossible? And he said, if you solve this and you cure and get that mass and that lump in your brain to go away, come back and tell me and I will go out on the medical circuit and I will tell your story in your case. Mm. Well, guess what? I've never gone back to him. I haven't got the guts because I thought, what if I go back to him and then it comes back? So it's a little bit of fear that I have not gone back to him. But he was also mean and dismissive and he was a pretty horrible doctor. Wow. Why I don't mention his name anywhere in the book. Uh, nice. You could I mean he's he could eventually see your book. He might. Unrelieved stress is the cause of all disease. Mm. Okay. Can you talk us a little bit about that? So unresolved stress, so it's lingering stress, it's that those thoughts that we have, it can be our limiting beliefs, it can be things that are we can either be aware of or not aware of. So there are there are many things in our non-conscious that we have to somehow figure out how to tap into if we are still experiencing stress when we think we've moved on. Mm -hmm. So what happens when we get there's different levels of stress, but when we have the lower levels of stress, it's necessary. You know, people say, you know, cortisol is bad. No, no, no. We need cortisol mm -hmm. to function, to alert us to danger, to prepare us to deal with a real danger. I used to talk about mastering stress and how if you heard a snake in the grass or in the bushes yeah. that, you know, your, your cortisol would rise up and all of the physiological changes that would happen. Well, just after that, I moved into a house that had a big bush at the back of the garden. Mm. And as I go up to just you know check my peripheral part of the, the garden, there was a huge snake in the bushes. <laughs> and here's me saying, this is what we did, you know, 50,000 years ago, run away from the snake. Well, I had one in my bushes, in my garden, <laughs> and it oh. was, it was about 25 foot long. It was a monster oh. thing. So I had to get the, actually, I, I didn't just say get rid of the snake. I said, get rid of the bush, get rid of everything. Yeah, right. Can I, can I ask you about your symptoms? Can you sure. talk about that? And maybe your age. And I wonder about, you know, had, God, did you have menopause on top of it too? And did you're right, I did. It became a monster puzzle. And many people who get sick, often have symptoms they don't know or they go to the doctor and nobody knows and I was going to doctors my doctors sent me away about 10 times even though I had I'd had two years of headaches mm -hmm. and people just have all these symptoms and they often don't get the answer why so I began just noticing well what were the symptoms what was going on just because I could notice I was getting more irritable more mm -hmm. difficult more antisocial more isolated all those things, you know, that social, physical and emotional impact, they were just all getting worse and worse and worse. But if I paid attention way back, I might have realized that there were some things that were happening. I couldn't move easily. I, I wasn't sleeping. Sleep has always been a major issue. Mm -hmm. Now, when you're traveling across the world, you know, sometimes I'd be eight countries a week. And, you know, you don't often get a lot of sleep and then you've got jet lag. So no. I began taking Ambien. So I'm just going to tell you one of these little bit of detail, your Ambien. Sure, sure. And so what would happen was I'd be at home. I'd maybe been away for five weeks travel and I'd got home and I'm like, oh, 
great. I'm home. I've got a whole weekend at home. I can just relax and sit by the fire and just yeah. just do nothing and chill. And then I'd get the, the, the message that would say, the courier's on his way. And that was always my dreaded message oh. on a Sunday afternoon. And that meant I was being sent somewhere. A courier would arrive and I'd get a little package. And in the package in those days, you know, you didn't have electronic tickets. Mm -hmm. So it would be a package with my tickets, where I was going, my itinerary, what was expected. So, for example, it might be that I, let's say I was in New York and I'd get a package that said, you need to be at a 9.30 meeting in Zurich tomorrow morning. And here's what we expect you to present at this meeting. There's only going to be 1,500 people there. Yeah. This topic, we expect it in PowerPoint format. And we would also like you to present to this and we'd like you to this. Please bring all these documents. And then on the top would be an ambient. Oh. And the ambient was in the package because what they wanted you to do was, and they were at six hour amp sleeping pills. Most sleeping pills those days were eight hours. Okay. Well, the flights between Europe and the US West East Coast are six, are about six hours. Mm -hmm. So this ambient, if you took it, meant that you could sleep, <laughs> evidently, sleep oh. on the plane and wake up and go straight to the meeting. Mm -hmm. Finish your day's events, get back in the plane and go back and continue your work the next day in New York. And that's how it was. I never got downtime at all. Oh. And so I got addicted to Ambien. For 37 years, I took Ambien every single day because I relied on it. I couldn't, you know, because wow. I didn't know what time zone or where I was. And I just relied on Ambien to get me through the night. And at the time of writing the book, it was still unresolved. I still had not cracked my Ambien addiction. Mm -hmm. And I thought, you've got to live. You've got to walk the talk. So I went my doctor said, do not go cold turkey with Ambien. But I did. In April, I went skiing. I accidentally forgot them. And so I had a week away from home. And I said to my boyfriend, can I just be really cranky for a week? <laughs> I am going to stop my Ambien, which means I may not. And so I didn't take any. It was a Saturday night. There was none. No way I could get any anyway. And I went cold turkey. And by the end of that whole week, I managed, I had got in about one hour, 40 minutes of the whole week. Wow. That was in April. I'm now up to, I just hit seven hours. So every month I kind of add an hour. I'm now up to seven. Yeah. I'm going to have full night's sleep with no, no chemical aid. That's brilliant. Good for you. And that's probably related to some of your, your neuro secrets. Yes. Because there's so many there's so many challenges out there, and the easy thing to do is just to go and get a pill. Is just mm -hmm. to go, you know, when you go to the doctor, they treat your symptoms. They don't treat the underlying cause. Mm -hmm. You know, if somebody goes to their doctor and talks about, you know, I'm depressed, or you know, and they'll say, well, why are you? They don't ask you why you're depressed. They ask you, you know, what kind of medication you've taken. Will this pill work or this pill? And it's all about which pill will work, yeah. not. What's the cause of your depression and how might we treat that? So right. if, it's, if it's all about which pill will work, does that mean we're going to see which doctors? Sorry. <laughs> a little bit of lightening up here. That's a real big purpose of humor, isn't it? Lighten up the environment. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it'd be great to hear some of your neuro strategies. I'm so curious. So I learned that, and I'd never thought about food. Food for me was just something you did that was actually, for me, it was quite social. I, you know, I was born in a... Mm beautiful farmhouse and we had this walled garden that was just filled with fruits and vegetables and flowers and lots of nutrition 
Um, and you grew up in Alaska, right? I grew up in Scotland. Scotland with Harry Coos. <laughs> a Scottish accent coming from now on. Now we know that. Yes. And haggis. Haggis, yeah. Haggis. You know, have you seen a haggis? The little yes. animals run backwards around trees. But most visitors to Scotland are taught. <laughs> oh, no, I didn't learn it that way. I just ate some. Okay. And well, it was pretty good. Up. I yeah. don't know if I'd eat it twice, but it was pretty good. So I grew up in the farm. So I, you know, and it's a farm. And so we played in the dirt. We played in the dirt. We, we worked in the garden. We picked fruit. We grew stuff. And we ate really, really healthy diets. But I'd never thought that there was an unhealthy diet. I never had, I've never actually had a soda in my life. And so I'm so lucky. I'm very lucky. I don't have to wean myself off. I have so many friends trying not to drink sodas and it's hard. I never, I tried one once just to say I could try it, but oh, horrible. So I never had sodas. I had fresh fruits squeezed. I had, so I was brought up without understanding that there was bad food out there. We were limited to sugar. We were limited to, so we, we ate really, really well with good bacteria. So that's the key is the good bacteria. And then when I began to examine, you know, how to heal your brain, I began to learn that you know, food actually could be seen as medicine. It's, no. you need to have nutrition, you need minerals, you need certain things for your brain and your body to be healthy. And I've recently learned, this is, this is big for me, this next piece, and it's fairly new. So we know there's a connection between our gut and our brain. What I did not know, even though I studied chemistry at university, never thought for a minute to be useful, mm. but I've learned that the two of our main neurochemicals are actually produced in our gut. They're not produced in our Whoa. brain. And that is dopamine and serotonin. Okay. Wow. They're made in the gut and they travel up the vagal nerve to the brain. And the two of them, so dopamine is about, you know, having that drive. So you get out of bed and go, yes, I've got this to do today. And I've got passion about that. And that excitement and joy and drive that we have. And that reward we get when we accomplish something or are successful. And then the serotonin, that's the feel good. So that we, you know, we're, we're feel when we wake up and have that drive, we feel excited and we're positive and, and it's a happiness feeling. Well, because so, so, they're produced in the gut. If mm -hmm. you don't have a healthy gut, in other words, if you don't have good nutrition or you don't have a good, you know, your gut is not functioning very well for whatever reason, then it harms the production of those two chemicals. And without those two chemicals, the most likely outcome is going to be at a lower level anxiety and a bigger level depression. Okay, so... This is really blowing my mind here because that means that comfort food is literally changing your brain. It also means if food is medicine, that means I've been eating myself into a medically induced coma periodically. Possibly. Also, that if you notice, it, if it, since food affects brain function, okay, if you'll notice most of the areas in the United States that vote, vote red, you know, vote conservative, are also areas where there's a lot of sausage biscuits and you know high fat diet less so in you know blue states of course obviously there are differences within precincts or whatnot but uh, so how much of our current political crisis is due to diet i'm gonna move from the political part of the, <laughs> yeah. of the areas that may be looking politically leaning one way yes they do seem to have and i'm not going to be 
Yeah, I mean, but yeah. seem to have some higher instances of, of shorter, you know, lower mortality rates, you know, dying earlier, yeah. and greater levels of obesity and so on. Um, I'd love to quote you uh, something fresh information. There's a another great book that is new to me, and as my boyfriend has been learning more about food as medicine, he bought this book, and it's called How Not to Die. Ooh. Oh. How, How not, not to die. How okay. not to die. And I am getting so much information from this book about food oh. as medicine. So this piece was talking about, if I could just quote you a bit. Please. The, the CDC, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, followed about 8,000 Americans 20 years or older for six years. They found that three things had the biggest impact on mortality. It, whether you smoked, consumed a healthier diet, and engaged in sufficient physical activity. We all could say that. We could all have answered that question quite easily. And their definition for this study was pretty laid back. They said by not smoking, it just means not currently smoking. Yeah. So if you smoked in the past, they kind of dismissed that. A healthy diet was pretty loose. It was just merely being in the top 40% in co by complying with the federal dietary guidelines. And physically active only meant 21 minutes or more a day of moderate exercise. So that was a bit tougher to achieve, but my, my world it is. But the outcome, listen to this, people who manage one of those three, so that's pretty low bar, one of those three low standards had a 40% risk, lower risk of dying in a six year period. Those who hit two out of three, so those who maybe currently smoke and don't do more, you know, maybe do exercise one day a week. They had a, they cut their chance of dying by more than half. Wow. And those who scored all three behaviors, which we know in many areas of the country, they will hit all three, their chances of dying increase 82% higher, their chances of dying. Mm -hmm. So those three low standards of lifestyle choice created massive impact on mortality. Wow. So some of hmm. this information, I'm going, whoa, okay, what do I need to do to yeah. make sure not just that my brain got better, but that I live for a long time well? And that's really what my life is now all about. Yeah. And I just, I love, you are, you just confirming so much for me. I'm curious if you've had in your, I lived in Europe for a while. So I'm going to say that one of the things after living in LA and moving to Europe, to Spain, primarily fat european whole fat after an la non-fat diet was the biggest revelation to me about how much our brain wants and needs good fat and how europeans seem to have that down especially you know the brits beautiful unpasteurized raw milk you know from the cow like and i'm sure scott's as well Mm -hmm. high quality fats i i love that you brought that up katie because i i love my fat <laughs> not my, my fat not <laughs> here but the fats that i eat so i use a lot of irish butter danish butter mm -hmm. i use a lot of ghee mm -hmm. duck fats goose fat so i use all of those in cooking mm -hmm. and you know the the low fat when those labels came out with low fat on them i thought oh and i didn't know enough then but i knew that was not good and it just kept going. And some people still think that low fat means it's good for you. If it says low fat on the box, they think it's good. 
They have no idea what the people did to it. Exactly. To make it low fat. That's right. Did you look into melatonin? Because that was illegal in Europe. And so I'm wondering how much that was affected by your learning and and as a supplement. Well, I didn't understand why my brother used to ask me to bring melatonin with me every time I went to school. <laughs> I still do, actually. I take it melatonin. And I have, when when I did all my endocrine panels, when I had my, my mass, we'll call it now a mass, not a tumor. The labels are all mixed up. When I had that in my brain, they discovered that I had no melatonin production at mm. all. Zero. Mm. I still have no melatonin production. So I do supplement with melatonin, but it is it is misused. People right. don't understand that melatonin is not a sleeping aid. And it it's is cumulative. Sleeping. Yes. And so if you don't have it, there's a whole different approach. The way I use it, it has to be different. But for most people, it's something that may help in the occasional sleeplessness, and it may help a little bit, but it's not a sleep aid. And people just don't understand that at all. I founded the San Diego Brain Club. We're now in our 13th year. We meet every month. I do I do yoga in the park every Sunday morning. And some of it is quite advanced. They're quite an advanced group. And they do pyramids and they do other stuff along with the, the, the yoga. So I don't get into the various types. But the one thing about breath and yoga, sorry, two things. One is that I now know that the way, whatever breathing you have, and whether it's through yoga or a sitting meditation or whatever breathing practice you choose, if you can experiment and find your one, I found my one. When you find the one that works for you, and they're all, everybody's so, so different, that actually become, can become your practice for life, and it will not change. There is a lock, like a puzzle, and there's a lock when you find your breathing resonance, I'll call it. Wow. And it makes all the difference. So I encourage people to try different breathing mechanisms, just discover what works for you. The other thing I think about when I think about the brain, because we have limited resources in our brain, and I didn't understand this at all when I was struggling, when I was sick. We need primarily in our brain, we use utilize 20% of the resources and the brain's only 2% physically of our body. And so it utilizes so much of our resources. And here I'm talking about oxygen and glucose, actually. Those are the two. I add water in H2O, but traditionally we talk about glucose and oxygen as the primary resources. And when those begin to go down, you know, with dehydration and what that does to us, we know the headaches and what happens when we're dehydrated. If we don't have enough oxygen, then we're not going to be as effective in our, our brain whether it's how we regulate our emotions or how we face stress or how we perceive the world around us. So even when I go working out and I'm not a love workout, I just think, go get oxygen for your brain suit. Let's go out and get some oxygen. Mm -hmm. So I just think about my breathing exercises and my workouts and my walking, anything I do as getting oxygen to my brain so that it's being fed with this beautiful, hopefully clean air. Very nice. And uh, so have you, in the book, I mean, have you dealt more with, say, your your neuro strategies and PTSD survivors, like vets or domestic violence escapees? Escapees. 
I, I don't delve into it really in the book. Yeah, I'm not a trained therapist. I'm not actually even a trained neuroscientist, even though I sometimes am thought to be that. I, d- I did study psychology and educational psychology, but really not the other areas. So I've got to be very careful in the book, particularly about not making claims that I'm not and things that I don't. But I do know that when we are, and I'm going to move from PTSD more to anxiety, we cannot be anxious while we laugh. It's impossible to be in both states at the same time. And so that's why humor has so much relevance to finding ways to limit our anxiety or to switch even momentarily from something that's on our mind and to switch into a different mode. And humor just works with that so well. That's fabulous. And do you want to talk about your global coaching? Sure. So I am an executive coach. I, I I figured out back to this reimagined life. I'd figured out that the thing that got me to leap out of bed every morning on the good days was when I was coaching. And I actually had an office when I worked for one company and people would call it the magic office. And I never understood what was magic about my office. And what I discovered years later was that people said that it was when they came in and had a one-to-one conversation with me that they knew was confidential. They knew that I was very good. I mean, people tried to get secrets out of me all the time, but they knew that I would never reveal conversations, that I was very good at being present and totally and utterly listening. Then they would often, and then I, I, for some reason, was able to help them get to insight. They would leave my office with going, I figured it out. And they would get all excited that they had come to some new realization that they didn't have when they entered my office. And it took me years of, of, of coach training before I understood what it was I was doing in the moment. And I don't want to give away all my secrets, but that's what made me a good coach. And why I got so fascinated in coaching was that ability to work with someone one-to-one and for them to say, oh, I now see the world differently. I now see what I need to do, or I now have a whole new perspective, a reframing about what's maybe in my way or challenging me. So I just love the the idea of just that one-to-one conversation. I now do group coaching, but it's still the same concepts apply. And, so now uh, I, I think I finally understand why Starfleet assigned Deanna Troy to the Enterprise in the Star Trek Next Generation, right? Because uh, she, you know, she helped people interpret their feelings, but I... No other, no other popular science fiction has really explored it to that extent. But yeah, I, I can see you as Deanna Troy for the okay, I'll take that. The corporation. Yeah. And you know, people, people, I work with very senior executives generally, mm-hmm. and they, they, the once you get, and I discovered this, once you get to a certain point in any occupation, it gets lonelier because people think you're you're the next, but you know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. It's harder to express doubts or have any self-doubt about what you're doing. So the number of people you can talk to narrows and narrows and narrows. And so having a coach is just a wonderful way of having a sounding board and somebody you can talk out loud with. There's some debate in the coaching world about whether a coach should give advice or not. I'm, I tend to lean to the, the, the view that my advice actually has no value because mm-hmm. if I give advice it's less likely they're going to do something with it. If somebody thinks that they came up with the answer, they're going to do yeah. more. I worked for, he explained it beautifully. Actually, also it was David Rock in Quiet Leadership. 
he said that ideas are like children. We always like our own better. <laughs> oh, that's brilliant. And uh, it's the yeah. same with, with advice. So Very I try to help somebody find their own answer. And I just have techniques I use to get them. And this is why the brain, when I began studying the brain and connecting it to coaching, I got so excited because I thought, wow, now I understand why, again, people who come to their own answer are going to take much better action. They're going to make a lot better change because they believe they can now because it was their own their own answer and it just was very exciting so for 10 years i i taught thousands of coaches using what we call brain-based coaching techniques helping them understand the neuroscience as it related to their own brain so that they could then use that with their clients i love that so much wow. a question for is living on a houseboat a good neuro strategy it's a fabulous neuro strategy when you can lie in your bed and see ripples of water in your ceiling, it's just heavenly. And so the boat life is something that was just, just so lovely. I mean, you, and you can move, you can, I used to have a dinghy and you just, you can go out in the middle of the night and just look at the stars or you can, there's so many things to do on the water. And so I love the boat life. That's amazing. I must confess that when we did our Zoom calls for Yimmer Academy, I was always jealous of you being on the on the house. Yeah, I loved it. So does that mean you two were in the Humor Academy at the same time? Yes. We were. We were both you? became Californian Highway Patrolmen at the same time. Oh, sorry, wrong one. Oh, wrong. yeah. <laughs> oh, no, not Colorado either. Certified no. humor professional. Yes, we did. So I had a great pleasure of three years in class with Jim Bob. Oh, wow. That's amazing. And I had the pleasure of three years in class with Sue. Sue, are you a lemon? I am a lemon. Okay. Yeah. All right. I didn't realize. So many lemon products behind me. I <laughs> like Jim Bob. All right. So I have a question for you. Is there anything that we haven't talked about that we must talk about? Yes. There will be a pause here while we yes, assemble the necessary materials. It's okay. Take your time. Do, do, do. A little bit about the power of play, adventure, and all these are topics that i think we just don't talk about but it just you know when people plan a trip we know that the value and the excitement and the joy and the positivity in their brain is the planning and the anticipation because we imagine you know, right now i'm planning a road trip across portugal and spain for next year mm. and you imagine oh what will be on the road and what could we go and see and there's so much and i'm, I'm planning it with my boyfriend so we're looking at maps and and it's just so much joy from the planning of a trip and then when you're on a trip now i am a real adventurer i have i mean for example i'll just give you this year <laughs> i have been to antarctica which was my seventh continent oh. very proud of and you know just even stepping on a piece of land where there's penguins i mean mm. You know, I remember I, I, they tell you, you no, know, if the penguins, they have these penguin highways and mm. the penguins go up and down these highways and we're photographers. So we're kind of trying to stay out their way. You know, we don't want to touch them because you know, we're trying to maintain some purity mm. from a bacterial level of the, the, the land and the penguins. So we if they come near, you have to stand still. And there's a fabulous video somebody took of me. And I'm at the bottom of a penguin highway, just to the side. And this one penguin is coming towards me. 
and the expedition staff said, Sue, just don't move. Just stay where you are. You can keep shooting, keep taking your photographs. I meant, yeah, let's clarify shooting. Yeah. Taking photographs, but don't move. And the penguin just came closer and closer and closer. And it stopped right at my feet. And he's a little guy. I mean, they're only about, this guy's about two foot tall. And he looked up at me. And we just had this moment between me and this penguin in the middle of Antarctica. And it was so joyous, just that moment of, so I watched that video. It's one of my things I do if I feel a little bit down or I need some energy. I just go back to my little penguin video. Oh, I have lots, but that one in particular. And then I've also just come back last week from Greenland and Iceland. And, you know, the, the power of the waterfall in Iceland. You stand behind a waterfall that's high volume of water and spray and negative ions. You can't help but feel uplifted and happy and giggly i mean i just get giggly and 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 so excited by all of this and then because i'm a photographer i take a lot of video so i can then come home and recreate it over and over again and now i'm trying to share it so other people can also experience that joy of travel and awe and wonder and then just every day you don't have to go to those places to find it when i was celebrating a big birthday I called it savoring, you can guess the words that followed it, could be six, it could be 70, and it's neither of those. And so I called it the the, the savoring S, month. And, you know, during that time, I just took, the whole month was about savoring the moment, savoring the food, savoring the the smell of the ocean, savoring relationships and friendships, and just savoring every moment so that it was it had value and it was a connection and remembered so just inviting people to savor those moments go in nature go somewhere go to the ocean and just savor you don't have to travel to the extremes of the world that i do yeah so is a penguin going to be the new mascot of lifted fog llc it might be because you know an iceberg also has you know, penguins also sit on icebergs. Oh. And so you have the combination of the penguin and then the iceberg, which, as you know, 90% yeah. of the iceberg is below the water. Yeah. So, you know, I can I use a lot of the, the metaphors to do with icebergs and what's below and what's above the water. Yeah. Um, they literally go with the flow. So. <laughs> they literally <laughs> go with the flow. Do you want to talk at all about the Invisible Disabilities Association? I would. And the context that I'd like to put that in, we actually, this week is... Oh, no, last week was the Invisible Disabilities Week. Okay. And the Invisible Disabilities Organization Association is one of the, the most impactful associations I can think of mm-hmm. who operate. They're pretty small from a financial point of view, but their reach is very big. Mm-hmm. And they had the gala Saturday. And really it's about, so this year's theme is, is about time to believe. And a lot of the theme of my book is it's time to believe. And when I believed that I could heal myself, when I believed that any change I was going to make was possible, I was able to do so. So this time to believe was the theme. And when we think about people who have invisible disabilities, often they're isolated. Often they're stuck at home. If you think about people with MS or Crohn's or cancer or recovering from heart with heart disease, but who can't necessarily go out or very often. 
during COVID, we all began experiencing what that was like, that isolation. It's very hard for people to talk about some invisible disabilities. And I also, when I had this thing in my head, I didn't want to tell anyone at all. I wanted to just keep it secret. I told nine people for the first year. I didn't want anyone. I was embarrassed. I thought, no, 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 I'm flawed. You know, I have mental illness. I'm, I'm flawed. But then the Invisible Disabilities Association helped me understand that, no, we have to talk. We have to share. There's so many people that when they hear their, your story, they then think, oh, I'm, you know, they, they, they feel a connection. They can appreciate. So we encourage people with invisible disabilities to have a voice, to feel that they, they don't need to be isolated. So creating connections for people and just allowing them to, to have a voice. So we interview a lot of people who, we call it the invisible encourage. So encouragement, but it's about the, the things that we don't see that are really hard to deal with. So thank you for letting me talk about invisible disability. Oh yeah, it's, it's beautiful. Is there anything else we haven't covered? Well, I mean, the, the I just want to mention AATH again. So AA, we have that was next on my list. So uh, perfect. Yeah. The Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. The biggest thing I learned, and Jim Bob, you were there, and I don't know how much it struck you, but it was in our our like our first day, and we learned that there's there's three ways of looking at humor. It can be humor for entertainment, and most people just think about humor for entertainment. They think about jokes and stand-up comics. Great. That is a huge role for, for comedy. You know, and Jim Bob, you're huge in, in improv. You know, you're very skilled. We actually went to an improv show in Mesa the other night with oh. board. It, it was a lot of fun. And the second one, so that's for entertainment. The second purpose of humor is for influence. And we know that leaders and, and CEOs who use humor are generally rated more highly than those who don't. No. A higher level of trust and we can influence by using humor appropriately. And the third type, which is really where our emphasis comes in, is the, the humor for therapeutic purposes. So humor for well-being and humor for healing. So that's what my emphasis has been and now I didn't know as much about humor when I wrote, when I was in the, the situation I describe in the book. So it's something I learned later. So I added it back into the book at the end, things I know now that I wish I'd known then. I think I probably could have healed faster if I had understood the power of humor and used it more than I did. Oh, so let's say somebody here in this podcast would like to learn more about your services. But where, how should they get in contact with you? in is one of my primary places where I, I I play is the wrong word I do play a lot but not on LinkedIn so it, it's a good way and you can find me very easily Sue Stevenson the good news about my book cover if although not that people can see that in audio is that my picture is on it so people yeah. can find me more easily but it is just Sue Stevenson fairly easy to find you just find the bright red jacket book cover Okay. I'm my my business is called Lifted Fog, and I actually made up that name because I be, I live by the beach, and we always had fog, and I love the sunshine and blue sky, mm. and I'd yell at the fog, and people would say to me, "Sue, help me lift my fog and get clarity." So I love the name, mm. but I now have Lifted Fog Coaching and Consulting, Lifted Fog 
photography. I've now got lifted fog writing, lifted fog speaking, and I'm just adding to the lifted fog kind of, I don't know what comes next, what different lifted fog ideas, but the website is www.liftedfog.com. Sure. That's an easy way. I'm also on Instagram, Lifted Fog Photography. I'm also Sue Stevenson 13. So you can find me. Those are the main and Facebook, Sue Stevenson 13 yeah. or Scottish Sue. <laughs> I must consolidate some of these, I think. Emma, what's the next book going to be? You know, I'm not really a writer and mm. I don't know if there's another book in me. It might be photographs with some stories. Mm. I'm more of a a travel journalist or photojournalist than I am a writer or a pure photographer. Mm. I like the storytelling around it. So I may do that. I think I'm more likely to move into the world of being being online, doing webinars, mm -hmm. mastermind groups. I am developing a course based on the book. We're still working on names. So it might be something like living well now to live well later <laughs> i'm not sure what i'm going to call it pushing through pushing through to live well might be another title it's all about pushing through okay. forces are probably where i'm going to go next very nice because that was that that would be your next plans for the future you think yeah brilliant well, i want more people to yeah and the course you know the, the actual content will be kind of based on the book but then one of the the levels of the course will be mastermind so people can talk and people can share ideas. And as science keeps, I think we're going to get more better science and more science-based that links not just humor to healing, but, you know, humor to food, humor to cortisol, which we've already got a lot of information, but just keeping following the science on how to heal ourselves, whatever happens, whether it's an accident or or some other things that affects our immune system. That was actually my diagnosis was I had an autoimmune disease, not a brain tumor, hmm. which is probably why I got rid of it. <laughs> hmm. Oh, right. Because you affected your immune system. Yes. Hmm. Okay. Oh, that's brilliant. Could you could talk a little bit more about the Milan train? Because that sounded so cool. <laughs> Thank you for asking. About... Yeah, that's one of my stories. I loved the, the Fridays in our office in Switzerland. So we would kind of, we, we knew it. Eventually, we knew it was coming, so we'd have a little overnight bag we'd take to the office on a Friday in case it came up. And I was new to Switzerland. I didn't know many people apart from in my office. So we would kind of meet at lunchtime on a Friday and say, who is going on the Milan train? We lived about just a few miles outside Geneva, and the train that left Geneva, I think it was at five o'clock on a Friday, passed through our town of Neil. And so we would say, who is coming to get on the train. Now we didn't know where we were, but we knew the train ended in Milan, yeah. but between Geneva and Milan are a lot of beautiful places. Mm -hmm. So we would get on the Milan train, however many chose that week to join us, could be up to 20 people. Mm -hmm. And often by then the train was so full that we'd be sitting in the corridors or, or standing at the bar. And we would just, it just became a social party train and we had no idea where it was going. And we'd wait to hear, there's a party in Verbier, or there's a party going on here in, in Gestad, or who wants to come join us? We're going for a weekend, blah, blah, blah. And so it was just this, we had no idea where we were going to get off the train or whether we'd go all the way to Italy, to Milan. But it was just the joy of exploring people, friendships, and adventure and fun on that train. Yeah, it was so much fun.
it's a good metaphor for life. You know, we, we start going one direction, but we find stuff along the way that's kind of cool. Not what we planned, but kind of cool. <laughs> oh, oxytocin. Yes. yes. I do want to talk a little bit about oxytocin. I have a coaching technique that I was taught where we, when we work with people, we switch. If they come to us and they, you can tell their cortisol is elevated and they're anxious and they're, they're really being driven by their cortisol. How do you switch them? so that they, the cortisol begins to diminish and the oxytocin replaces it as the primary neurochemical in the brain. So once we can do that, it gets very exciting because then people can you know, calm down that cortisol, increase the oxytocin, and oxytocin, you know, which Paul Zak named as the love drug, is the transmitter that generally is, shows itself in mothers who are bonding with their newborns, Mm-hmm. and that that real strong bonding and connection in relationships well when i had my thing call it the thing in, i'll just give it a name one day no. the thing in my brain it also blocked and caused me harm that some of the chemicals neurotransmitters from the posterior of my pituitary did not come down and oxytocin we now have a theory that in fact i did not have oxytocin as a naturally produced chemical for a long, long time. Wow. So for years, and some people attribute this, you know, my, my corporate rise, fast rise up to you know, executive positions. They say, well, it's because you had no cortisol. Uh, sorry, not no cortisol. You had plenty of cortisol. No oxytocin, which meant that I didn't really, I wasn't that kind of soft, fuzzy, warm HR person. I was pretty hard, cold businesswoman because I just didn't have that bonding chemical. Mm. And and that's probably why I never wanted to have children or never, I never got married because I just didn't have, I don't know how long, but I just didn't have any oxytocin. But if we can find ways to boost our oxytocin production and minimize the cortisol, then I think we get to a much better balance in our, our day-to-day lives. And are you saying that you have strategies for doing that? In conversations, yeah, I can, as a coach, I can help somebody move from a a cortisol dominant balance to an oxytocin. I personally have to actually take a supplement because I still don't have natural production. So I take vasopressin um, as a, for life because of the scar tissue. I take that every day. So now I have it. Now I am bonding. Now I am much warmer than I ever was. But yeah, for a long time, I had none none of it. Wow. 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 Interesting. Anything else there on your list? Oh, gosh. No, I mean, I think I just want to come back to, you know, humor because humor just makes such a difference. I mean, I just, I cannot overestimate the the value of humor. And my boyfriend and I, we have humor strategies. So we now will build play into every day. Obviously, we have a puppy, which helps. We can play with her a lot. And she is funny. But we build play. We will actually consciously and intentionally choose what we're going to use is play and when i say play it isn't just like competitive pickleball which we also do but it's much more that play between us it's that interaction that just you where you cannot be anxious where you just and then laugh so we we're gigglers and we giggle a lot so we find ways to giggle to to we know how to make each other laugh now and we're always looking for what is funny and when you have the lenses that you're looking for because I'm not a joke teller but I see a lot of funny things a lot and I notice them 
So yesterday, last night, you know, I'm driving home with Karen Buxman, who I think many of the listeners will know. She's a neurohumorist, part of our, our AATH, really a central part of AATH. And Karen and I would just look and we'd look out the window. Oh, wow, look at that. And we just saw shapes in mountains. We saw cacti that kind of made us laugh because of the shape of the cacti. And just traveling for seven hours each way with somebody who, you know, like me, notices humor and sees humor around them just mm-hmm. made it go so fast. It was just such a lovely journey with her. Oh, that's awesome. You know, I'm just a first year Humor Academy person. So thanks. You're just, I'm getting all this. I get it from Jim Bob too, because he's brilliant and amazing and oh you're just saying that because it's true all right i'd like to talk about one more quote in the book and this was from a greek doctor hippocrates said that healing is a matter of time but is also sometimes a matter of opportunity could you riff on that for a bit i think that's just having your white eyes wide open to seeing the moments that you can grasp to seeing to not live in a fog or let things just pass by you Mm. to have your eyes wide open to what is in the moment that you can do that will help yourself or others just be so present and 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 look for the opportunities in every moment well this has been amazing sue thank you thank you i want to say that you know when everything feels impossible find a way to change your mindset to say well what is possible back to that quote jim bob Mm. opportunity that to me is just looking for those possibilities and then believing they exist and keep searching for them because they are there yeah wonderful thank you sue great thank you so much sue thank you katie thank you jim bob this has been a great delight and i want to thank sue stevenson for appearing with us today on laugh box and sue uh just a word to the readers if you buy sue's book don't do what i did i got the kindle edition and now she can't sign it Buy the paper copy and make sure she signs. <laughs> and I will have uh, the book for sale at the AATH conference in Mesa. That's what we were yesterday. Yeah. Uh, checking out the conference venue. And I will have them there. So if you bought one and want to bring it, I'd be delighted to sign it. Also, there'll be some for sale at the bookstore there. And this is an opportunity for uh, uh, Kendall and other e-readers. There has to be some way to, you know, to electronically annotate a uh, electronic copy. Yeah, it's got to be done. When you discover it, Jim Bob, let me know. Thank you for joining us for episode 93 with Jim Bob Williams, Katie B, and special guest Sue Stevenson, author of Impossible to Possible. Thank you. This has been Laugh Box, brought to you by the Association of Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Thank you so much for hanging out with us. Laugh Box is a production of the Association for Applied and Therapeutic Humor. Visit us online at www.aath.org. Follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Music by Gary Rubio. For more information, www.garyrubiomusic.com. And we'll see you next time. Thank you.